0: Think about how many keystrokes you make every day in your practice. Now multiply that number by about 750,000. That's the number of registered health practitioners in Australia. That will give you a rough idea of just how much free text is being generated by the health sector every day. And if you happen to be a researcher after a particular topic, This free text is a goldmine glistening with potentially useful data for your research projects. There's just one catch. AI finds it almost impossible to extract accurate meaning from this jumble of acronyms and abbreviations that doctors tend to use. That might seem strange when you think about just how powerful computers are, but it also reveals something about just how individualised, packed full of information and beautifully messy human communication is, which I think is kind of poetic. Welcome to The Medical Republic, a podcast for curious GPs. I'm Felicity Nelson. And I'm Francine Crimmins. This week we're talking about natural language processing. Okay, Felicity, break that down for me. Yeah, so natural language um, is just what it sounds like. It's phrases, sentences, words, anything that you would type away at your keyboard. It's all the things that you're putting down basically when the patient is sitting across from you and you're taking the history and putting down all your own recommendations and theories behind the diagnosis yeah that moment where the doctor isn't looking you in the eye and is just typing (laughs) Um, but Felicity why is this data so valuable well it's valuable because it contains all the information you could possibly dream of as a doctor and a researcher so it tells you what medications a patient's on um And that's particularly useful when the patient is sitting in front of you and they can't remember or they've forgotten to bring their medicine kit. So a computer could trawl through the written medical records that exist about that patient and compile a complete list of likely recent medications. This kind of intelligent system that we're talking about, uh, the natural language processing system, could also find all the patients overdue for a pap smear or vaccination um, it could match patients with rare kinds of cancer to clinical trials. It could compile data on adverse events or create registries. The potential uses are really endless. But there's an obvious snag, and it is a very, very major one. I'm thinking typing a a atorvastatin, a atorvastatin, atorvastatin. All the same thing, but are they? Basically, computers find it really hard to read clinical notes. When there are typos, Good. correct. That's what France was doing. She was reading out typos. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it's not just typos. Often doctors write their clinical notes in a idiosyncratic fashion. So they might use shorthand um, that they've just invented. You know, they're Shakespeare. So <laughs> instead of abdominal pain, it's ab pain or ab p. Um, you know, post UTI instead of possible UTI. And then maybe they'll throw a few question marks in at the end because they're just not sure, um, which throws the computer off again. So should we read an example, Francine? Yeah, I think everyone needs to know how bad this can get. So here's one that Professor Ray Bunting, an AI expert from Monash Uni, sent me. Um, it helps make the point uh, by showing us exactly what might appear in a hospital clinical record. PT 18YOF, independent, stop. R comma, paracetamol question question mark, pain. Times two opiate, sign, times five and question mark question mark. Question mark number of stop times fifteen P, paracetamol question and mark. Uh, Yeah, I have no idea what that means. We can only decipher some of it. The first part is saying something along the lines and don't even get into how many typos there are. Uh, it's basically saying patient 18-year-old female, oh, female. independent. He says "sharp pain, but I'm fairly sure he means sharp pain. What is the plus plus? I have no idea. I I'm assuming that's just the shorthand of saying and. Oh, and at rest, oh, 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 hours. It could mean cardiac arrest at oh, midnight. Arrest. Oh, that makes sense. See, I would have read that as like they went to sleep, although that's not really relevant. And then there's just a the whole series of capital letters. I honestly don't know what's going on there do you think the team was anxious plus 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 or is that the patient being anxious with lots of pluses look i don't know but i'm sure as hell anxious just reading these patient notes it sounds like a really bad situation whatever's going on um (laughs) (laughs) uh the point i'm trying to make is a computer would have a very difficult time trying to understand those notes yeah if we can't understand it how possibly could a computer do it Um, This language is deeply confusing to a computer. Uh, And Professor Bunting calls text mining and clinical records a worst-case scenario.
1: Just about anything else is better Um, because there is uh, huge amounts of jargon, uh, abbreviations. uh, There's uh, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of different very specialised... Drug names, medical disease names, every one of several of them have multiple uh, acronyms and and uh, versions and common language versions, um, uh, and also there's a lot of ambiguity, uh, meaning that some um, some jargon has different meanings in different places. I have multiple meanings in the in the emergency ward, it means one thing, and um, in another ward it might mean something
0: else. And this doesn't have a trivial effect on data collection. So say you wanted to go through like 100,000 clinical records and pick out the patients who just have lupus, but say a doctor's accidentally, you know, while they're typing, they've hit a comma instead of the M button, and they've gone for the S instead of the A, which is kind of easy to do if you're in a rush. Um, suddenly the word female reads fe comma sel oh and sel being the abbreviation of lupus yeah so a, a smart computer would would pick that up as a patient with lupus which would then completely skew your results and i can also see that being a problem across different specialties because i know that some doctors will use their own abbreviations of things but they are actually official abbreviations of diseases or medications across other specialties so it can be confusing at the best of times at conferences when people are talking to each other, let alone if you're a researcher trying to find something specific in patient records. Yeah, absolutely. And there are also issues with abbreviations and acronyms, um, which don't always mean the same thing. So CA could mean calcium, cancer, California, which one is it depends on the context that you're in. And I mean, on this topic, you would think that numbers would probably be the only straightforward part of this entire equation, uh, but I'm assuming that they actually aren't at all, because when you think about it, the number ten, you could write that as ten, uh, as one o, you could write that as T E N, or you could write it as X, the Roman numeral for ten. Uh, and ten years old, I guess if you're writing about a patient, that could be written as you know T E N Y O, uh, ten years or ten Y R S or ten Y O. just to name a few sorry if I missed any um there's also I guess numerous other combinations whatever you feel like really you might have your own abbreviation for what a 10 year old looks like in your notes (laughs) (laughs) um and then there's four the number four which could also be IV in Roman numerals um and that's the commonly used abbreviation for intravenous so you get even more (laughs) confusion in there um and doctors don't speak the same lingo so I found one study that was looking at a US hospital and in a single day, doctors described fever in 278 different ways and ear pain in 123 different ways in 213 patients, um, according to the digital medical records. So there's a lot of colourful ways of describing different conditions. One thing I find as well, even when we're writing uh, medical pieces, is just how much medical languages actually has a lot of redundancy built into it as well. Uh, when you think about cancer, that could appear as carcinoma, CA, tumor, or neoplasm, uh, all in medical record and in medical media as well. And they all mean the exact same thing. And then you get things like white blood cell count. And you know that can be expressed like things like just white count, leukocyte count, or WBC in capital letters. Mm, and then the English language is filled with homonyms, so those are words that are spelled the same um, but have two completely different meanings. Um, so while a human could quite easily distinguish between feeling blue and turning blue, a computer might not pick that difference up unless they were trained to do so. Um, and, you, you know, suddenly you're creating a medical condition out of the word blue, which <laughs> could be an issue. <laughs> I mean, we could just force doctors to write in a more standardised, structured format, uh, reteach the medical language, uh, if you like, that would make computers' life a lot easier. Yeah, if you could persuade doctors to all speak like, you know, robots, which, <laughs> I mean, that's a tricky thing to do. Um, but, yeah, of course, structured data, like box ticking, standardised forms, use of ICD-11 codes, they could all be quite useful. The problem is that, and this is what came across when I was talking to some of the people and for this story, The issue is that those kinds of data collection methods actually contain a lot less information than free text. So you lose a lot of data about the series of events, so the history, the medical reasoning that brought the doctor to that particular diagnosis, or the intricacies of the treatment plan, or how the patient feels about the treatment plan. So there are all these variables that can't really be communicated through a box, unfortunately. Um, And there was a paper that came out on this topic by some US biomedical informaticians, Um, And they concluded that there was a direct conflict between the desire for structured data and the need for flexibility in medical records. And they said the narrative expression of free text should not be sacrificed for the sake of structure or standardization. Um, Instead, electronic medical records should have a hybrid model where both types of data are recorded. So Felicity, where does that leave us? Um, I guess are tech wizards taking up that challenge of trying to reconcile the two? Uh, Yeah, so there are a few research groups who are working on this problem and have been doing that for a long time, Um, but it's proving a lot harder than anyone expected. So David Hauner, an associate professor of paediatrics at the University of Michigan, um, has spent about 15 years building a system called eMERSE. So eMERSE is a basic search engine for doctor's notes. You'd think that doctors would already have the capacity to kind of control F and find something in their clinical records, uh, but most of them don't. Uh, So what Immerse does is it allows the researcher or the doctor to enter different clinical terms, such as a diagnosis, symptoms, medications, Um, and then this system searches not just for those words but all of the synonyms, abbreviations, acronyms, shorthand descriptors, potentially typos, that kind of thing, and then it pulls up those results. So it saves you a lot of time if you're a researcher trying to go through tons and tons of records um, it could also work as like a memory aid for doctors so say a patient comes in they've got a headache and they said oh five years ago I had a headache and my doctor gave me this great medication but I don't know what it's called so the doctor can just sort of immediately search headache and find that record instead of having to you know expect the patient to remember what they took which could be quite helpful the, the point he was trying to make with this technology is it's incredibly simple and it allows a human to use the computer as a tool rather than expecting the computer to do everything you know it's not that intelligent but it can do something as simple as a word search exactly and then people know what to search for in their own notes if they have used the same abbreviation for blood pressure no matter what that is if they mongrel it and they say bpp for all you know they can find that again the computer doesn't have to work out that that mongled abbreviation, sorry if you use one, um, means blood pressure. But Felicity, what other natural language processing tools are there out there at the moment? So the big one is IBM Watson Oncology, which you've probably heard of. Um, So that's supposed to be a super intelligent system that can crunch thousands of pages of free text data. So this is like medical research papers um, in order to help solve a really complex medical problem such as how do we treat this patient who's dying of cancer? But there is a big caveat. Yeah, so it hasn't really lived up to the hype. Um, So a stat investigation in 2017 found that Watson for Oncology was floundering. The system didn't tell doctors anything they didn't already know. And one of the cancer specialists who worked for Watson for Oncology said the supercomputer was still in a toddler stage of development. It seems really strange. I would have thought by now that there would have been more collaboration between researchers working in this area of health, uh, mainly because of the advantages we know from pulling data and being able to compare patients and their histories. Um, Yeah, you'd think, and you see that in other areas like genetics where they have libraries full of data um, and researchers are all pulling that knowledge. We know that AI systems get smarter when they're exposed to new and different clinical data sets, so it would make sense for lots of researchers to pull their information together. But that's just not happening here, right? Yeah, it's actually the exact opposite. So I was really quite surprised to see lots of little research groups, you know, just a few people working on the same type of project and replicating it all over the world. Um, And yeah, it was kind of a bit strange to see them building these complicated systems from scratch, particularly as you see, it's such a difficult problem to solve. And why is it so siloed? Well, one of the reasons is that health data has a lot of privacy restrictions. While for normal human language, um, you could just go to Wikipedia and just get your computer to learn how humans speak, you know, just by looking at the internet. Um, The language of doctors, as we've just seen, is only found inside clinical notes. Um, It's very specific. uh, And the research teams need special permission to work with these sensitive records. Um, But also, it seems like a duplication of effort for so many research groups to be trying to solve these same problems independently. But also, medical records look and sound very different depending on which group of doctors made them. So the ambulance data is very different from, say, hospital data, which is, again, very different from how pathology reports work. Um, So it actually kind of makes sense for lots of different projects to custom build their own systems for trying to process those um, those records. That's interesting. So what are some examples of these independent projects that are happening in the area? Yeah, so there's, it's happening in hospitals quite a bit. So I spoke to a researcher in the Netherlands, um, someone I met at EULA, actually, which is a rheumatology conference in Madrid. So her name's Dr. Rachel Knievel. So she's trying to speed up her investigations into the question of what triggers rheumatoid arthritis. And to do this, she figures it's a lot faster to develop a program um, that can quickly scan tens of thousands of patient charts rather than read each chart individually and she says it just it's a way to make science more efficient so her team has been developing a system that can identify clinical records that mention drugs for rheumatoid arthritis and the major problem that they've come across is that there are heaps of typos so doctors will put for methotrexate which is a rheumatology drug they'll put instead of methotrexate mtx they'll put txm or mxt or any other number of variations um or just meth, <laughs> potentially it could be a lot of different things <laughs> yeah so, so they've basically figured out that this is a mathematical problem and they're using a certain algorithm to get on top of it um so that they can figure out whether or not you know, random letters means methotraxate or how likely it is that it means methotrexate, based on how many iterations it is from the word. So how many change, swaps of letters and how many um, new letters there are. Yeah. If only we could just all speak the same language. Yeah, or just not make typos. <laughs> um, yeah. So I also spoke to Patrick Rook from the Swiss Institute of Bioinformatics in Geneva Um, So their text mining group is working on several projects to support personalized medicine in oncology. So he says what his system can do is take the large universe of papers that are out there in cancer research and list them in terms of how important they are for the medical problem you're trying to solve, which is kind of what Google does. It's kind of what PubMed does, but this algorithm does it a lot better. It's more targeted based on the specific characteristics and the specific variants that the cancer patient has. And I heard that there's also some groups working on this problem space in Australia too. Yeah, so there's some groups in Australia. Um, One's CSIRO's Data61 team. Um, So they're working in Sydney and Brisbane on a couple of cool projects. One is this project where they're looking through Twitter to try and predict thunderstorm asthma by reading people's tweets. And they're also doing this thing where they take the data from a website in the US uh, where patients log on and they write about the adverse events that they've experienced in relation to drugs. They're sort of trying to scroll through that data to figure out what side effects haven't been reported yet so they can pick it up earlier. Um, And the other thing they're trying to do is match patients to clinical trials. Um, So the reason you need natural language processing is because sometimes the reports are written slightly differently. So the patient might be 60 years old, but then there's a clinical trial call out for, you know, older patients. And so you need a smart system that can figure out, oh, this 60YO patient fits into the, you know, the older patient group. Or, you know, if, if they have a cancer variant that's written a slightly different way, they fit, also fit into this clinical trial. So, And there's one other company right here in Sydney that's working... On a similar problem? Yeah, so um, I met up with Professor John Patrick um, to have a chat about his projects. Uh, so he's a professor at the University of Sydney who started two companies, HLA Global and iSims, a few years ago. So he's working with Sydney Adventist Hospital at the moment, um, and what they're trying to do is create a cancer patient record for teams of doctors who meet up, so multidisciplinary care teams. Um, So you can imagine all of those different doctors have their own separate report about the patient and they just want to get an AI that can kind of bring them all together. Um, And he said like as an extra twist, they want to take the pathology report and actually structure that data so it comes out in the same way, no matter how the report was written. Um, He's also got a a major client in the US, the Californian Cancer Registry. Um, So this registry goes through and mines clinical records to generate data about cancer trends, you know, how many people had, this type of cancer this year, Um, so to try and speed up that work they've hired uh, this company to create systems that can sift through thousands of clinical reports. And there are several layers of difficulty involved in teaching a computer to accurately read these reports.
1: Any type of investigation is going to produce a text report. Um, So that's the first thing and so you've got to be able to understand the the way in which those different document types are structured. You have to understand the structure of the document. So you've got to build a processing system that analyses its structure. If you take pathology, which perhaps is the most common report written, it classically has um, a section of uh, uh, macro description, micro description, um, uh, final diagnosis, uh, description of specimen or nature of specimen, clinical history and they're the classical parts that has it, but then it can have other things like and have supplementary records if it's for let's say a hematopoietic um, cancer disease it'll have a number of other tests in it and, uh, are based around um, biomarkers and gen- genomic tests so that diversity just makes it richer and more tricky about mm-hmm. how to get what you want so that's the first layer Um, The second layer is that you have to decompose the texts within the sections. Um, And if you think about pathology again, the core information about the diagnosis should be in the final diagnosis section. Should be. (laughs) (laughs) But all too often it's not. (laughs) Um, And that complicates it even more. But when it is, um, one of the things you have to tease out is, uh, for example, first of all, how many specimens they're talking about. Now, the pathologist can be helpful to you and number each of the specimens, right? or they can not number them, <laughs> in which case it's harder to separate them out and, and then to separate what they're saying about those specimens. So then you've got, to, so you've got to recognise the specimens, separate them out, and then within that you've got to recognise all the clinical entities that they're talking about. And once again, if I use cancer, they'll talk about histology, they'll talk about subtypes of histology, they'll talk about the site the laterality, the behaviour of the disease, the extent of the disease, its invasion elsewhere, or not. Or say it's not there. So if you take a prostate case, you might get 20 specimens and only one might show disease, or the rest might be entirely benign. So you've got to um, recognise, the, if you like, the class of, of disease that's being described within the specimens and then report on what's relevant to the client objective. Now the client might, like a cancer registry, just wants to know the worst case or it might want to know, or in other circumstances, if there are combinations of cancers, they want to know about the combinations. Um, And so that's a whole subsystem of of, uh, computation which is about recognising clinical entities and we call it clinical entity recognition. Mm -hmm. So you've got structure recognition first, you've got specimen recognition second, you've got a clinical entity recognition third. now, for one of our products, which is a search engine, it's called Clinisearch, that's what people want. They want to be able to search by... They want to nominate a clinical entity, search through thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of records to find all the examples of that clinical entity. Is this
0: like a diagnosis?
1: It could be a diagnosis. You know, they might want all the liver cancers. Or a particular gene. Or they want a particular yes. gene, or they might want to know margins greater than, you know, one centimeter Mm-hmm. Okay, so they can they can look for clinical entities, or they can look for values of clinical entities. Okay, um, and and computing val- relating the reference to the clinical entity and the value it has is more complicated again. Mm. Okay, um, because you've got to get if you've got a long sentence, you'll have multiple clinical entities, you'll have multiple values. Okay, and you've got to connect the correct values to the correct entities mm-hmm. so that's another order it's not an order of magnitude more difficult but it's, a, it's more difficult than just recognizing the entities themselves it's recognizing the relationships between the entities within the sentences mm-hmm. and some of those relationships are across sentences not within the one sentence and that makes it even harder mm-hmm. to get it right
0: so basically it's just really really complicated yep <laughs> that's what I got from the interview and even when the natural language processing system appears to be working fine, it can get thrown off by a new source of data that is added. So when you get a new pathology provider that structures their report slightly differently, it kind of messes with the whole system. And so the company has to do revisions on a weekly basis, they say, just to keep on top of these changes. I know that that's already a problem in pathology reporting as a niche field In its own right, there's a lot of problems with different pathology providers communicating on reports and they're trying to make it uniform somehow. (laughs) Good luck with that. (laughs) To put things lightly, these natural word processing companies, they really have their work cut out for them. They certainly do. Um, And to leave you with a slightly amusing fact, it turns out that the companies processing the clinical text can actually identify individual doctors or pathologists who have such an eccentric writing style that they keep tripping the computer up,
1: and we certainly can see certain types of reports that cause us trouble where we can instantly identify who the author is. <laughs> that's you know that happens. Or, As in
0: the individual doctor? Who sometimes cares. even <laughs> the, sometimes
1: the individual pathologist. We can say, oh yeah, that's one of theirs because of the way they they write, particularly if they if they don't prepare them very well, right? Because exactly. they're the ones who cause the most, us the most trouble, and therefore they're the ones we see the most give the most attention
0: it definitely seems like electronic medical records are about as indecipherable to a computer as a doctor's handwritten note is to the average human patient yeah come on guys make it a bit easier for the researchers (laughs) you've been listening to the medical republic podcast it's a program for curious gps thanks for joining us this week this program was brought to you by the awesome interviewing scripting and hard work of felicity nelson (laughs) Um, and our amazing editor Victoria Nelson. Oh, and the fabulous Francine Crimmins, of course. You can contact us on Twitter. What do we want to go with this week? <laughs> okay. um, there are so many ways to contact us um, Twitter, WhatsApp, Signal. You can send me a proton mail. <laughs> <laughs> Should if you we? want it to be encrypted? I'm get really getting into investigations now. So.